Welcome back to today's Titanic Minute. I'm your co-host, Rob. I'm joined, as always, by my good friends, Joe and Duff. Good day. (laughs) And joined by uh, today's Heart of the Ocean, our guest, Claire. Hi, guys. (laughs) And and Claire, Claire, hi. (laughs) Oh, hi, Joe. Ahoy. (laughs) Thank you, Claire, for you were on uh, you were on Tombstone Minute as our guest a couple times for being our first uh, our first heart of the ocean here at Titanic Minute. Uh, today we're going to talk about Minute Eight, and in this minute, Snoop enters into Hockley's bedroom. <laughs> uh, and it starts with uh, our good friend Lewis, ain't it cool, Lewis? Um, <laughs> Seeing, saying that he sees it, he goes, I see it, I see it. And uh, I have two notes on this before we jump in. One, that bearded smile continues to haunt me. <laughs> and this is Lewis's worst minute in the movie, I would argue. I don't know. When he's like walking along the deck with Brock later, which I think is like maybe five or six minutes out, he's also... <laughs> just awful i mean he's awful in most of his time in the film yeah this is a competitive uh market here but i'm gonna agree with claire for two reasons and i'm probably spoiling this minute but i don't care is because he has that dumb t-shirt that oh my gosh i'm sorry you're gonna have to foghorn foghorn. (laughs) so yeah he has the super what james cameron considers like super edgy and cool (laughs) of the smiley face with a bullet in it and he makes the uh anastasia anesthesia joke anesthesia joke do you think he wrote all his own lines (sighs) so i i can answer part of that oh uh because again going back to the shooting script uh, which is from 1996. This is one of the things I wanted to talk about. So the script, for the most part, is almost exactly what you see. There's not a lot of diversions. But in this scene, where they're just getting to the safe, uh, in the movie, you have Lewis's super funny joke about someone left the water running. It is the worst line of the whole movie. It's so bad. And you know that Lewis said that every day that they go to Titanic. (laughs) But that line is not in the shooting script. Would you guys be okay with it if Daniel Stern played this role and we could look at it as a callback to Home Alone? Oh, the Wet Bandits. Oh. Oh, yeah, it's great. Daniel Stern would be a good Lewis. He would be a good Lewis. Who else would be a good Lewis? I feel like we could just list off a handful. So we discussed this a little bit. We were mostly talking about Brock, but the names that came up for Lewis were Steve Buscemi and Billy Bob Thornton so far. See, okay, I take issue with both of those because I think they're both like 
too serious of actors. No, I thought those guys were were Lewis. Oh, Buscemi, I meant for Brock. Oh, okay. Yeah, just Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, See, okay, even Billy he Bob. though is like too too serious of an actor. Like this needs to be a character, a character actor that can do like the bit part thing. Like Chris, like Chris Farley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm extremely on board for that. Like he would have had all those pratfalls and tied inside that little submersible. <laughs> Like he totally would have gotten tangled up in the headset and fallen. <laughs> oh, this movie would rule. And then when they like, get back up on the surface of the ship, he parties so hard. He could have done the, the fat guy in a little coat bit, too. <laughs> <laughs> Is David Spade our Brock, then? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, it just made very this movie so now. much better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> they, they they run into a big whale on the way down there, like in Tommy Boy when they run into the deer. <laughs> the the movie's renamed Titanic Boy. <laughs> All of the nineteen fourteen footage was just cut out. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great! I'm so happy about that. I will say that when Lewis says he says we're in, we're in, baby, we're there. He sounds like Jeff Garland from Curb Your Enthusiasm to me. There. Okay. I guess that's who I'm reminded of. So about- I could see if we were taking this in a more uh, serious film direction than than Titanic Boy. Um, <laughs> I could see Paul got, Giamatti doing this role. He'd be so okay. mad. I, if we're going to keep calling it Titanic Boy, then we need to get Chris <laughs> Elliott involved. <laughs> A Titanic Cabin Boy crossover. There we go. That's what the world needs. And instead of an old lady, they reverse it and Rose dies and Jack lives. And then David Letterman plays the old Jack. <laughs> hey, uh, you guys... Uh, Got any diamonds? <laughs> I thought Chris Elliott. Chris Elliott could play Rose in no. that idea. <laughs> a drawing scene ends up real different. Yeah. <laughs> I love how every dumb podcast we do just eventually devolves into us just wishing that it was an entirely different movie. <laughs> <laughs> and you're only eight minutes in. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I also think we need to talk about the the most horrific thing that happens maybe in the entire film. And that is, uh, Lewis sticking his tongue out. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, uh, I tried to come up with something more disgusting in this scene. <laughs> and, uh, the only thing I could think of is, uh, maybe that guy from Mad Max with the club foot. <laughs> <laughs> Who also could play Lewis. He's, that's Lewis's dad. Just Lewis in a few years. Oh, Does anyone have anything else on what's happening inside the mirror with, uh, with Titanic Boy? <laughs> I cannot call it that. With, absolutely. So... Uh, I do remember being like pretty impressed with the the whole arcade game virtual reality thing that they've got going on. That's my non scientist explanation for what's happening. When, um, when, when he's when got we, like the Snoop Vision on the Oculus Rift. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The nineteen ninety seven Oculus Rift. Yeah. 
Like, I remember that being really cool at the time. Now it looks like a really, like, terrible, you know, pull the the teddy bear or the diamond ring out of a thing <laughs> with the joystick. Now it just looks bad. I'm not sure if we're watching Lewis use VR to flip a door open or if that's just live footage of Harry Knowles writing his Blade 2 review. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, stick that tongue out. Uh, uh, <laughs> Sorry, have you ever read? He's have just, you ever read he's the just Blade Two? About Guillermo del Toro and that tongue just starts wagging. Have you ever read the Blade Two review by Harry Knowles? No, I have not. You are the tar- as a woman. You are the target audience. <laughs> yeah, you, for sure, clearly. So you, for our for a few remaining <laughs> listeners who have, uh, with yeah, is there they, anybody out there? If they made it to this episode, they've since dropped it from their podcast feed. But <laughs> for those of you who may be wondering what we're talking about, uh, certified. Uh, film critic slash journalist <laughs> Harry Knowles in his review for the motion picture Blade 2 the vampire movie with Wesley Snipes uh, Robert you might have to bleep me out uh, I you can't read the whole thing I think no I, just... I, I was just summarizing what's about he compared the director of How about, can I just read the first line of it and that just pretty much sums it up yes okay a warning Blade 2 is an R-rated movie. This is the NC-17 review of it. You've been <laughs> warned. Anyways, we, we'll, we'll, have, um, we'll make sure Caroline uh, includes this in her digest for the week, a link to this, uh, to this, uh, to this update, this little Blade 2 review by Harry Knowles. Yeah, I think that seems that right will... up Caroline's alley. <laughs> All right, I, I have a question for our heart of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. So you, you listen to two-thirds of us certifiably dumb people uh, talk about Titan, or excuse me, Tombstone for what, 30 hours or something? Yes. Is that, is that how long that took, Rob? For what? How long, how, how many minutes total did we talk about, did we occasionally talk about that Western Tombstone? Uh, 40 hours. Oh my God. All right. Wow. So a wor- you spent a work week with us. Yes. What, heading into this tight, this voyage, <laughs> What what are you what what are you hoping uh, we can bring to the table here in terms of Titanic analysis? What what kinds of content are you looking for here? Because so, obviously we're lost at sea. So <clears throat> I'll do best case, worst case, realistic case. That sounds good. Okay. Actually, let me. Let, I'll end with best case. Worst case. Um. We- you get sued. <laughs> that, that may also be realistic case. <laughs> would you give Would you give money to our GoFundMe to fight our Harry Knowles lawsuit? <laughs> I yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, realistically, I think your listeners are probably in for upwards of sixty hours of nautical puns. <laughs> I think there are more nautical puns than there are Western puns. So Rob's going to just run yeah, with that. And we're going to be a real anchor on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, Joe, if you get in on this pun thing, too, we're all sunk. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll try to write the ship. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh boy. <sighs> oh, boy. <laughs> 
All right, this Man. is really sailing away from us right now. Claire, what's your, what's your Claire, best case? Sorry, we keep barging in and out of your conversation. <laughs> Maybe best case is that the pun thing takes off. I mean, there's there's no getting away from the puns. That's gonna happen, no matter what. Um, I think maybe you learn a little history. Maybe you learn a little bit of um, respect for the love story that happens in this film. Do you assume we don't respect it? You know, I can't speak for you, Duff. I know you, <laughs> you less well. You probably can. I... <laughs> okay. It's a fair guess. Yeah. Um... No, maybe you do. We'll see. We'll see. Jury's out. What, what does this movie mean? Uh, how old were you when you first saw it? Um, I was 12. I was okay, in perfect. seventh grade. Yeah, I was peak Titanic audience. So would you cons- I, I hate to get personal, but would you consider this to be a, a pre-pubescent stage in your life or a pubescent stage? Because I think that affects one's viewing of the film. I think it was... it. It hit at the perfect time mm-hmm. uh, in that I was entering pubescence. Okay. So what, I saw it what, seven times in theaters, if that wow. helps. And, like, I, and I really context. do want to be, be sensitive to that because I, there's a lot of movies that, that I watched all the time when I was a kid and when yeah. I was a teen that were really important to me. This wasn't one of them. I didn't see it till I, a, until I was an adult. And I think, B, it seems particularly particularly resonant for for young women yes so what can you explain the just the the appeal of this that brought uh, you know i know that there's a lot of men that saw it multiple times too i don't want to be on the line here but but i just know so many women in my life that saw this movie seven eight times what obviously leo is extremely attractive but it can't just be that so what what do we need to know what do we need to be sensitive to so I think it was like there is something to the progression of the the relationship between Rose and Jack that was really attractive to like young pubescent prepubescent girls because Kate Winslet's character is um, super confident and like knows what she wants and is feeling blocked in in the life that she has. Um, that is something where like you're, you kind of get this opening to say, I get to be whoever I want to be. And I have this opportunity to like be with or be who I want to be. So I think for me and for like other young women, you watch this movie and it's like one of the first times that like an epic adventure action movie actually focuses more on the female story arc and character development than on the male story arc. So Jack's story is secondary in most ways to Rose's. I mean, he doesn't, spoiler alert, doesn't even survive the whole movie. Um, As far as we know. As far as we know. Um, And so she's really, like, the key character. Like, her development and the process of her, like, learning how to be an adult and, like, moving through the world is really the story there, and it so happens that that takes place in this, like, trip with this disaster. But I think that's why women and and younger women and girls, like, 
identified with it and liked it was this was this blockbuster movie that like everyone went to and it was a disaster film and there was all this stuff happening but it was ultimately and like fundamentally a movie about a female character which we hadn't seen so is it fair to say that you and a lot of other uh girls who saw this movie harbor strong feelings for it <sighs> I, <laughs> uh, I knew there was gonna be a pun I didn't know where it was coming. I didn't know where it was, but I knew there was going to be a pun. I do, though. I do harbor really strong feelings for it. And I think you know that, Rob, because when you told me that you wanted to do this podcast, I was like, oh, my God, I love Titanic. I hope you treat this film appropriately and more respectfully. That's the first question <laughs> yeah. I get whenever I tell a woman who, and most times it's been someone who loved it, they'll be like, that's really awesome. You're not just going to trash it, are you? Yeah. Um, I think it was really we, important to a lot of like young women for whatever reason. And I think that was partly that main character component. I mean, I, I think as we, as we sort of uh, continue through this movie, I know for me, my feelings on this movie have increased quite a bit since I've started um, like researching about like how this movie was made and just a lot of the stuff around it. I think it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Even though I wasn't really the target demo when it came out. And, and I guess th that answer is really helpful to me because I think that most men just assume that that women were going to see it over and over again to stare at Leonardo DiCaprio. But when you think about it, this movie only came out a year after Romeo and Juliet came out. And obviously Leonardo DiCaprio is equally sexy in that movie. And he plus has the benefit of you know, one of the most iconic love stories of all time. But uh, that movie doesn't have nearly as strong of a female character, at least compared to Titanic. And obviously it also doesn't have a big cool ship that sinks and stuff like that. But it, it's interesting to note, you know, both these movies came out within about a year of each other. Not that Romeo and Juliet wasn't a hit or anything, but um, yeah. it, it's certainly not, no, no one really talks about it anymore. It doesn't have the same I mean, no one's doing a minute-by-minute minute podcast about Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Not yet, they aren't. <laughs> yeah, it's only a matter of time. Should we announce it now? <laughs> you guys have fun. Uh, I was just going to mention that I uh, I know someone who refers to James Cameron as a unintentional feminist. <laughs> and hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's it's an interesting point, because I think as I've gotten older... And as I learn more about James Cameron and, like, see more of his films, the less I like Titanic. So, and the less I like him as a filmmaker. Um, but in the moment, when you, when you watch it without the context of knowing who James Cameron is and knowing what's going on, which you only can do kind of in that moment that it's coming out, there, it's a really well done film, even with all the, like, ridiculousness of it. And I think... and. The one thing I'm sad about in this particular minute that we're talking about is that there isn't very much, if any, score in it. <clears throat> yeah. And the score of the movie yeah. is amazing. Like it is, it really is. so good. Did you? Um, I was gonna. That, I was gonna do a follow up to if you saw it. I'm guessing if you saw it seven times that you had the soundtrack. Oh, I have a great story about the soundtrack. So I. Um, <laughs> I did, I did have the soundtrack, but the way that I got it, so this was back in the day of tapes, and um, I recorded the soundtrack off of a friend's tape, so I didn't have 
enough allowance money to buy the soundtrack from the store. So I recorded it off of a tape, um, but I was really sad that I didn't have the liner notes and like the actual cover for the tape. And so um, as a 12-year-old, I would say, so to answer your question, Joe, probably prepubescent really when it gets down to it. Uh, I spent the time to draw... <laughs> the liner notes. Wow. So the bow of the ship, Leo and Kate in the front. <laughs> I drew all of that and tucked it into my little like Sony recordable tape jacket and had it for years. Like I think until I went to college and tapes were no longer relevant. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. And you, and you don't still have it? I know. I wish I wish I did. Mm. Like at the time, I probably happily threw it away, being like, "Wow, this is super embarrassing." Um, and now I would, you know, I would have it doesn't, out on display proudly. Doesn't it just make you kind of sad thinking back to being that age and just being able to love something that much that you would spend the time to do that? Yes, I also, yeah. I mean, I think like there's a there's an age component. I think there's also an internet component. Like I had no ability at that moment in my life to look up anything, to download it, to find out more about the score. Like all I could do was tape, like tape record off somebody else's tape and try to like relive this nostalgia feeling through this movie by like redrawing it and listening to this tape a million times. And you just, I think with the, the, the ability to do that on demand right now, you don't get to experience something in that pure way anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, I honestly wish that I could find any new movie media that makes me feel like I did about stuff when I was 12, regardless of if it's still good or not. Completely. It like, I loved this movie and it, and it wasn't a Leo thing and it wasn't a like, so I remember going to the, the theater with other friends from school uh, and all the boys went because they wanted to see the scene, right? It was like the one movie that they could get into that had boobs. And oh. so, like, the Gosh, theater would be... what's wrong with them? I know. What are there, idiots. Are there boobs in this movie? Yeah, I didn't... Oh, yeah. I, we'll I get, don't I, notice stuff like that. No, sure. <laughs> sure. We'll get, I look we'll get away there, out guys. of respect. <laughs> I, I usually put a blanket over my head. <laughs> you go to sleep like a parrot. <laughs> I've only I've only ever watched this movie with my mom, and she she covers it my face up with a blanket. <laughs> it's awkward. I think the twelve I think the twelve year old thing is interesting because I always think like what makes twelve so magical, and I think Stand by Me mentions this too. But it's like the oldest you will ever be, where you don't care about other stuff any like you know you don't care about you know relationships you care you don't care much about like how you look to everyone else you just care about the stuff you care about but it's like the most advanced you ever are until like that cynicism takes hold yeah and you're old enough to realize that there's more out there i guess than just like yeah the frivolity of being a kid and i think that's where this movie and like this moment in time for me is really like hits home is that you watching this as a 12 year old, there's a sort of like, Oh, there's like emotional connections out there. Like there are, there are relationships and adult things that exist and I'm old enough to recognize it, but I'm also young enough to just like enjoy it and not 
reflect it back upon my own experiences or my own things. Like I can just be there in it, but also realize like, oh, this is real and it's going to be great when I get to that spot where I can have that relationship. Or be on a boat that crashes. Yeah, that too. <laughs> this got super deep, guys. <laughs> uh, to, to speak to the point about uh, just how entertaining this is or kind of growing an appreciation for it, I... I have always felt that this movie and James Cameron's overall, his uh, filmography in general, uh, I can't think of anyone who surpasses him for pure entertainment value. Uh, I think he's up there with Spielberg or uh, Nolan or uh, Hitchcock. I'm just naming directors who are known for like, you know, thrilling maybe spectacle or popcorn big event movies. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's Spielberg and Cameron. Yeah, I completely agree. I really only have one question here, and I think it's important. And I'm sorry, Claire, that we don't actually see the resolution of this in your minute. But what is under that door? (laughs) You, You never find out. No. I mean, the obvious answer, I think, for us Titanic Minute hosts and listeners is it's big bird (laughs) (laughs) just the the corpse of big bird underneath that door (laughs) 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 what what other podcast can can talk about both prepubescent coming of age moments and big bird's corpse like that's a (laughs) You guys really, you guys really cover it all. It's nice. Yeah. Uh, does anyone have anything else on this minute of the movie? Um, I, I have a, another. Well, maybe quick question. This might be too big, though. Go ahead. But do you think that that any movie, you know, this movie sort of comes comes out at that perfect time for your generation? has there been something since then that that you think has captured sort of that adolescent fascination to the to I'm certainly not the same degree cuz very few movies have had the impact that this one has had but like are there any any other films or or pop cultural touchstones that exist sort of on the same league as this one are you asking uh personally or as a culture like just as a culture, like you know, obviously, soon after this movie came out, we kind of got a little bit too old for that kind of thing. Like, is is like Harry Potter maybe like the the next thing? I, I was gonna I say know. that. Or That's Lord a different Lord. kind of pop culture fest. Like, I, I guess I don't yeah. want to count stuff like that or like like <laughs> franchises. I mean, maybe just just one film, one book, one TV show, something like that. That that exists as such an important benchmark in 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 a person's coming of age well this was arguably the last Uh, i think you could make that argument because it was right when the internet was becoming mainstream uh and ever since then it's been harder and harder to get that kind of what's i think it's referred to as monoculture where everyone Mm -hmm. is experiencing the same thing i uh, harry potter and lord of the rings arguably uh I think those were very big. Maybe the Dark Knight 
But the, yeah, I but mean, those are all just like kind of franchise thing. Like so, obviously this is based on a real event, but it's still yeah, yeah, an original one-off you, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. If you look at box office, um, it would be another James Cameron movie. It would be Avatar. But yeah, did but, that uh, capture that, like, adolescent no. moment in time? I mean, that was a blockbuster because no. it was like, what's James Cameron going to do? Yeah. yeah there's always going to be movies that make a lot of money. I just mean that that have yeah. that, that, that same level of passion where people are... Like, like, can still remember the way that they felt. Like, what the thing that, yeah. that keeps people coming back five, six, seven times. I, I, it's so, there certainly were movies before this one, but there hasn't really been one since that I can think of. But maybe it's just because I, I was older and I just didn't know it was there and I just didn't notice it, but it was happening. The, the only one I could think of, if I'm being honest, would be uh, Frozen. Hmm, that could be. Yeah, I, I see that argument. So I think the thing with Frozen, though. And I think there are a couple of other animated movies that have that same sort of latch on to that moment in time for people, but that's, you're so much younger. And I think yeah. that's a different, like it's a different thing. So I was thinking of Stand By Me, which is in a lot of ways a super different movie. I mean, in every way, a super different movie. There's no ship. Mm-hmm. There's um, a dead person. There is a dead person. That's true. But well, it's it has, not that, that's ex- but that's a big deal though because that that brings that element of adulthood and the forbidden right. into it. And I think that that Stand by Me, which is probably about uh, fifteen years or so before this movie, uh, yeah, yeah ten to fifteen, right. something like that. Mid-80s. And then and there's this this which addresses you know sexuality to some degree, mm-hmm. but is still something that younger people can see. And and. and uh, I, so I, I think it needs to be so, uh, that have that coming of age element, but it has to it has to dip its toe into the forbidden. And like I, I yeah. studied Moonrise Kingdom with my students sometimes, which has some of that too. But but that movie is you know not <laughs> it was popular, but it's certainly not like a Hollywood blockbuster by any means. Like, what about uh, Hunger Games? I was thinking about that too. Well, the so book. I would... I, either the movies or the books. I'll say yeah. I would say, though, that for Hunger Games, for Harry Potter, for Lord of the Rings, like, you know what's coming with those because they're based on books. Like, there's a there's a context there where you have a fan base that's all riled up about it in the same way, and it's that same age group. But part of what made Titanic so, I think, interesting and, and powerful for that, for, like, my demographic and my age group was that we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know the story. We didn't like. We knew the six, the ship was gonna sink, but the the character component of it was was yeah. new. And because there was no internet, to your point, Duff, we didn't have the ability to find out what was gonna happen. And all of those sort of fantasy trilogy canon books, and I would include the Dark Knight and other like Marvel yeah. and superhero stories. You know what's gonna happen. You know the world in which that's being based. And this is its own sort of like space and time where you don't know what's going to happen. And you know that they're going to be incredibly popular and that everyone is going to go see them. Whereas this movie, (laughs) when it's coming out, I mean, there's lots and lots of people that think it's going to be the biggest disaster since the actual Titanic sank. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's no assurances that this was going to be a hit. Yeah. No. It was, I mean, we'll dig into that as, as we move on, but I mean, all, like, it changed a little bit as it got closer, but during production, everything was just, this is an absolute disaster of of just money being thrown away for a movie that's 
that people aren't going to go see. We gave a crazy man a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he took all our money and he built a, a giant replica of a boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how much he put into this movie. Yeah. It really is. And I'm sure you guys have and will talk a ton about that. But that, like, that alone is makes it sort of an, a one-of-a-kind film. Because so much happened, like, the fact that they actually went in to look at the Titanic and some of that footage is of the Titanic, that alone is just insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like the perfect, not only the perfect time of your life that you saw it, but just in the history of film that, like, there was still a lot of the big studio Hollywood-type ways of doing something uh, combined with like the independent filmmaking in some ways of Cameron and also being able to have early enough in CGI to do a lot of the stuff he wanted to do. Yeah, without having to rely so heavily on CGI that it became the base for everything. Yeah. Uh, we're, we've gone pretty long here. Does anyone <laughs> have any final thoughts of minute eight? <laughs> I think we ran the gamut. I think we did. Yeah. Claire, thank you so much for being uh, Heart of the Ocean for us, our first Heart of the Ocean. You bet. My pleasure. And uh, and to our listeners, we will be back uh, tomorrow with Minute 9 of Titanic Minute. Minute. <laughs>